Welcome to Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com and visit the Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire blog at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider donating. Even if you toss me five bucks, it makes me feel better and as if you actually care about me. Visit www.writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click on support the blog to donate either by giving to GoFundMe through PayPal, or you can support me by buying me a coffee, which trust me is dearly needed. There will be no new episodes in March as I have a book coming out March 12th. Heroin, that's heroin with an E on the end, which is about the opioid epidemic. I will be back in April with more interviews for my podcast listeners. Today's guest is Hilary L. Jastrom, owner of J. Hill Marketing, specializing in copywriting and book editing for entrepreneurs. She is an author and contributor to multiple media, as well as the founder of SickBiz, a nonprofit supporting sick and disabled entrepreneurs. Hillary also hosts the podcast Sick Biz Buzz. Hillary joined me today to talk about her own diagnosis, moving past illness as an identity, and to share tips for dealing with anxiety and depression. Need help with your book manuscript? Look no further. Freelance editor Raven Ekman offers affordable reader and developmental editing packages and is open for business. Check out a anewlookonbooks.com for package details, client testimonies, and more. It's time to get that manuscript ready to query or publish. You're the founder of SickBiz, an organization dedicated to providing support, resources, hacks, and hope to entrepreneurs affected by chronic illness, pain, disability, and sickness. So tell us a little bit about how you came to this endeavor and the impact it's had on others. So I came to this endeavor the way we come to most wonderful things in our lives, and that's accidentally. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got sick in 2014, and in September of that year, I was diagnosed with transverse myelitis. Transverse myelitis, MS, typically centers in the brain, mm-hmm. and the lesions are present in the in the brain versus the, the spinal cord, and transverse myelitis is the opposite. Lesions are present in the spinal cord. So I have one lesion, but it's in a really great place where an entire bundle of nerves is located that kind of direct both uh, upper and lower body. I became sick with the chronic version. But the acute version can paralyze and even kill people within hours. Because oh, my. It paralyzes, right, the uh, ability to breathe and things of that nature. So I'm actually very lucky. I tried to continue working. I was working for a large regional furniture company at the time that I just loved. I thought I felt I had come home. Uh, I was doing their blogging, all their social media. They let me have a lot of freedom to build this part of the marketing department, and I just had a blast doing it. And so when I got sick, and it was a it was a public decline, mm. as in I couldn't walk down the hall without holding on to the walls or uh, grabbing onto a coworker mm. that I'd never met before. I would, <laughs> I would just be like, hello, we're meeting. Wow. We're both going to the cafeteria. Let's do it together. We tried to work it out. 
and there was just no way it and it wasn't a matter of being pushed out of the company it was a matter of these are the job responsibilities and, and can you do them can you show up and i said no mm-hmm. i i can't so in 2015 january right the very first start of the year i began that year on unemployment mm-hmm. and i stayed on unemployment for about 9 months and uh, then i was able to build up my marketing business and so my marketing business is basically copy editing, copy writing, and book editing. And once I had done that, then I was able to find the resources to develop SickBiz. SickBiz is the company. It's the nonprofit that I wanted mm-hmm. when I was sick. I didn't know how to look for jobs. I didn't know how to talk about being chronically ill and working with potential clients mm-hmm. and even other entrepreneurs or what type of presence I should have on social media. So now we offer a job of the day posting with the caveat that it must be a living wage job. And that is overseen by our secretary, Galena, because she runs the largest VA group on Facebook. And so we're attached to her and we provide the opportunities that you need that you can used to work remotely and make a living wage. And we are continuing to build on training programs. What are some trial closes that you can use to make money today? Mm -hmm. We also have a phenomenal community of support with the sickest and most disabled people working for themselves you've ever met. (laughs) Who Uh (laughs) And they're just waiting to lift you up. They're just waiting to validate you. So it's been an incredible experience so far. Mm -hmm. So what age were you when you were first diagnosed? That is a great question. It's 2014. I think I was 42. Oh, wow. So this happened to you Mm -hmm. later in life. You had spent your whole life with health as an assumed. Yes, absolutely. And it's really interesting because, well, for five months, we didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And the neurologists, they they couch these words. They say things like neoplasm. And I go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Then I go home and look up neoplasm. And it says uh, tumor in the spinal cord. And then I freak out mm-hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. And it's dark. It's dark. There are people around you, but you're still alone. And you do not know what in the world is going on. I'm on my third neurologist right now because people don't know how to treat it. And then this past November, I was diagnosed also with fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Sounds terrible. You know, I'm sure people are like, wow, that's horrendous. But for me, I was like, yes, I have a diagnosis. Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely. I think not having had a critical illness in my life, but having been through stressful experiences where things were up in the air, knowing helps. Knowing does help because knowing gives you back a measure of control. Mm -hmm. Then you are able to say, okay, maybe I don't have control over here, but I do have control over here. Mm -hmm. And so now I am going to re-enter my life and I have hope. Yeah. It's going to be different. It'll be very different, but it's still my life and I can still do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. And what a great message, of course. I would love to think that I would have such fortitude in similar situations, but I just don't know. I don't think you can ever say that you know how you would react in any certain situation. No, you really don't. And 
that's something that we talk about a lot too, is that you have to allow yourself the ability to feel whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. And it's very similar to the grieving process that I think there's five steps mm-hmm. overcoming grief or whatever. And, but it's never, it's never like, okay, I'm out of denial. Right. So then I'll go move into sadness. And this is very predictable. It's like, I'm in denial. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm bargaining. I'm okay. I'm back in denial. It's honoring whatever you're feeling and allowing yourself to feel it and then moving forward so that yes, you're having the emotion, but you're also doing things like putting a time limit Mm -hmm. on it. Let's say I lose a client or something. I'll go, all right, you're allowed to feel like crap about this for three Mm -hmm. hours. You can feel like absolute total garbage. That's great. Sink into it, (laughs) you know, pull the blanket up your chin. But at the end of that time, re-enter your life. Yeah, I actually find wallowing to be really helpful sometimes. Sometimes I have days, whatever is going on in my life, where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to bed. Like, that's just where I'm at. I'm out. I need no reality for a little bit. (laughs) Two-hour nap. Come back fresh. Yes, absolutely. And when you're sick, sometimes you have days like that that you have no control Mm -hmm. over. You want to do something, and you wind up going, you know what? I'm sick. I'm done. I'm done for the day. I'm going to try again tomorrow. But the beauty of this is, and I know it's scary for people to depend on themselves, especially if they have a disability or sickness, to make their income. I know that's scary Mm -hmm. because it takes away that security. But the beauty is, one, you can make as much as you want. And two, you want to take a nap during the day because you feel like Mm -hmm. crap? Go Mm -hmm. right ahead. (laughs) It's your timeline. Very cool. Very cool. So my audience for this podcast is mostly made up of writers, both aspiring and professionals. Mental illness is something that afflicts a lot of creatives, specifically anxiety and depression. So can you share some of your tips on how to handle stress, anxiety, depression, any of those things while trying to negotiate the complicated world of publishing? That is a very good question (laughs) because for decades, I had a debilitating eating disorder Mm -hmm. that at one point brought me down to 93 pounds. Holy shit. And yeah, exactly. And um, and it wasn't like, wow, that's heroin chic at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no. (laughs) No, we accomplished the opposite. But uh, (laughs) and I had just horrible anxiety stiff as a board rather, lying in bed, just shaking, just overcome by these anxiety attacks, all Mm -hmm. precipitated by a crappy childhood, which everybody has had. So I'm not going to belabor that point, but Mm -hmm. I had to get a handle on that. And again, it's a little bit about compartmentalizing. It's also a little bit about breaking the stigma that you put on yourself. Mm. So for years, I'm not going to take Prozac. I'm not going to take it. Now I'm like, I take it. I love it. Mm -hmm. Great. I don't care who knows. I don't care Mm -hmm. because it's the only person that matters in this whole community of me is me. So I don't care. It helps me. I have something going wrong with the serotonin, blah, 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 whatever. And I need it to help me. And also it's been increased because it is effective supposedly against nerve pain. I haven't been that impressed with the results in that capacity. But hey, if you want to increase it, fine. But mm-hmm. the other thing is that underwent counseling for decades as well. So we have to learn how to not run from our emotions. 
And we have to learn that customizing our self-care is not just okay, it's necessary. Mm -hmm. It's especially necessary now because right now everything is coming at you all the time. Mm -hmm. You can't get away from the pings and the dings and the Facebook and the emails and so-and-so wants this and a client is texting and your mother's in the hospital or whatever the case is. There's no actual escape route. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it just becomes so overwhelming. And this is the advent of the introverted extrovert. When I'm out in a room full of strange people, I'm kind of like that girl that wants to cling on to her mother's pant leg. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in a group of people who motivate me and light me up and who I care about, then I can really come in to my own. So managing anxiety for me is proactive. When it does hit, then it's giving myself what I need in that moment to be grounded again. And a lot of times I just talk to myself or sometimes I pull out my laptop and I write a letter to myself Mm. and it starts like this. What the hell do you want, Hillary? (laughs) 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 Like what is going to make you feel better? It's also a measure of reassurance. The mantra, I'm not going to die. I'm going to get busy. Mm. You're not going to die in that moment. You feel like you're going to die in that moment but you're going to get busy instead. So focus on other things if you can. Try not to go down that spiral if possible. And if you go down that spiral, really try and center yourself. There's a couple of tricks that you can use too about feeling everything in your environment. Like you're moving that sensory sensation from overwhelm and impending doom to I feel the back of my legs on the bed Mm -hmm. and I'm going to Now I'm going to feel the back of my calves. Now I'm going to feel my heels. You're focusing on being grounded in in the moment. There's no magical cure for anxiety, damn it. But (laughs) you can, but you can learn to proactively manage it. It's not going to be 100%. It's not going to be like, wow, I had anxiety. Now I don't have it ever. Right, right. It's going to be like, you know, like I have anxiety attacks probably 80% less than I used to have. Mm. I'll freaking take that all day long. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. My my most recent guest, Anika Mrosrisi, and I were talking about anxiety. And one of the things that we spoke about together was the feedback loop that you can get stuck in when you are imagining all possible outcomes. And none of them are good because that yeah. is how anxiety works. <laughs> and I myself... I always joke in my family that if you don't answer my text within five minutes, I assume you're dead. And they know that, but I'm not really kidding. I am a worst case scenario type of person all the time. When I get on a plane and I'm leaving to go on a trip and I'm saying goodbye to people I love, I'm thinking, I hope I see you again because I might die. Like that is just how I am. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's not a lovely way to live. Um, but, but it's me and that that's who I am. And I have over the course of my publishing career and traveling more often and not having it be such an event has made things a lot easier, but it's the smaller things now that, you know, anxiety finds a different way. It's like, if, if, if I can't get you here, I'll get you somewhere else. Right. So there are smaller things that I will just end up 
oh, why did I say that? I shouldn't have done that. This was stupid. (laughs) Whatever it might be that I am just Mm -hmm. laying in bed, usually at night when I don't have anyone to, you know, speak with because I talk out my problems. That's what I do. And if I don't have someone to do that with, I'm just laying in bed talking to myself, usually the worst version of myself, who just says, yeah, you're right. You fucked up, you know, (laughs) and and oh that loop, that loop is, is just, it's pure evil and heinous. So I like what you're saying about being more aware of your physical self in those moments and grounding yourself, because I think that would be really helpful when the only place you are present is your own mind. Yes. And I think the other thing is to find that outlet. So one of your outlets, like if you don't write, you'll die. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Probably. Right? Yeah. Okay, right. So you have to find that outlet. You have to find whatever it is. And it's kind of like um, minding a leaky bucket, you know, or like a a leaky ceiling with a bucket under it. And you know you have to empty that bucket Mm -hmm. or it's going to overflow and it's going to come out in weird ways. So you have to proactively empty that bucket. So if something is going on, Find that outlet. Are you painting? Are you singing? Are you drawing? Are you running? Mm -hmm. Are you writing? We make the time to take care of things that we deem to be crucial. Mm -hmm. When in fact, when we die, we may look back and say, wow, I really flunked that test. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like I, I, I made every, I made every appointment critical. Mm -hmm. I made every ability to tear myself down so I could quote build myself up stronger critical Mm -hmm. but I didn't make time for me I didn't make time to process I didn't make time to be kind Mm -hmm. to myself so I think it's really a proactive measure and that's something that I didn't find out until later and so this is why I tell people like give yourself permission be a human freaking being yeah you know it's okay yeah. And this is a hard time to be alive. Yeah, it is. it is. It's interesting. I've read a lot of articles and books just about how the digital world is actually changing our brains and we're mm. being rewired and we're processing everything differently. And I myself, as someone who can sit and read Moby Dick, which is what I did last week while I was traveling, I was delayed that much. I finished Moby Dick. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I had already started it, to be fair. But yes, I finished Moby Dick. That's how many delays I had. But so, I mean, that's who I am. I can sit down and read a novel. I can read for four hours. Like, that is who I am. But I have noticed with the advent of the Internet in the past 10 or 15 years of my life that I will skim anything that's backlit. If it is backlit, I'm not reading it. And Mm -hmm. that is something I have taught my brain, that it's not important if it's backlit. Or you can just skim it if it's backlit. So it's interesting to me that our brains are malleable things. They can be retrained and taught and they can reconfigure themselves. And I was also interested in you were talking about uh, medication. I myself take Cymbalta once a day. And Mm -hmm. I did not get it until I was in, I think I was in my 30s. And my life changed. It completely changed. And it was one of those things where pride got in the way. It was like, I can handle it. I don't need medication. 
I could not get myself out of bed. Like it just wasn't happening. And once I got on something and, you know, we had to adjust dosages, but we finally got to where I needed to be and where I was healthy. My mother told me she was like, it's amazing to me how much happier you are, how much better mm. you are. Mm-hmm. And he, she said, you know, I wish we would have gotten you on something when you were a teenager because you would have been happier. But it was just something that never occurred to my family, you know, and I also masked everything very well. But that was one of those things that, you know, no one in my family had ever needed such a thing. And so for to have that validated, you know, by your parents, which, of course, it will always be the the final say, no matter how old you are. It was nice. Like it was like, you know, a stamp of approval where it was like, yeah, and I wish that we would have done this for you sooner. And why do we need that validation so much from them? Like, mom said I'm a good girl. Right. I know. I'm going to be 40 (laughs) next month. And it's just like, I will text my mom and be like, I landed safely in Dallas. It's like, yes, I accomplished something. I did it. I flew and landed that plane. I want to circle back to what you talked about with Moby Dick. So when you're talking about something that's backlit, I think people and publishers in particular who had no idea but to just kind of swerve and go with, you know, the new up and coming rage, which Mm -hmm. was electronic everything. I think they have discounted the overall experience of reading. Mm -hmm. It is the weight of the book in your hand. It is the way that it smells. Mm -hmm. It is the sound that the pages make. Like when you open that book to me, it feels like I could just step inside it. Mm -hmm. It is truly a tactile experience when you're reading a book and there is nothing like the pages accumulating under your left thumb that makes you feel accomplished. You know, it's like that, that feels like accomplishment to me, especially when it's Moby Dick. So that is so much better than watching the number tick up or watching the progress bar. It's there with the progress bar, but it's not the same. And so that's something that I read a book called, um, it's called the shallows. Um, the author is Nick something and I can't pull it up right. Oh, Carr, Nicholas Carr. And it is all about how the internet and uh, reading online and reading in small snippets and all of these different things is actually changing our brains. And it's fascinating. He has published quite a few books since then. I think that came out in 2010-ish. He's published quite a few books since then following up on his studies about tech and how humans interact with tech. And he's not saying tech is a bad thing. It's not. It's a great thing. But it is changing us. And we, we should be and need to be aware of how it's operating and changing us. And I, well, I love to tell people, I write, I'm a YA author, I write for teens. My book sales, only 20% of them are ebooks. That's it. Oh, I love hearing that. There's people hope. like books. <laughs> teens don't yes. even like ebooks. They want to use reading to get away from their phones and get away from their laptops, and they want a physical book. And you need a tool to get away because I don't know if you're like this, but when, when it's time for a vacation or it's time for something, it's almost like you now need to prepare yourself for making this massive shift Mm -hmm. from major productivity to giving yourself permission to do nothing but what you want to do. And it's, and you almost have to force yourself into it because it's like you're you're losing your grip on the world that you've come to depend on. Mm-hmm. So, but once you get in, 
It's like you never want to come back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unplugging is the best. I have um, a four-acre yard. I live in the middle of nowhere. My yard is huge. And when it's time to mow the yard, it's like I don't listen to music. I don't have, you know, my phone even on me. There's no connection. And so I'm just mowing and I'm in nature and I have, you know, smells and mm. heat and everything like that. And a constant hum, which, of course, helps create a meditative state. But I come back inside and I see how, you know, in most ways, badly lit the house is, how stark my laptop screen looks, how mm. uninteractive everything actually is, even though that's the big thing. We're all interacting. Eh, we're not. <laughs> we're looking at a it's reflective so screen. We're focusing on primarily three senses, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. And we're depriving ourselves of tactile. We're depriving ourselves of the scent smell. Mm -hmm. But we're really like, we're really focusing on those three senses. And so when you get out into the real world and you're in the backyard with the grass and you're mm -hmm. smelling it, it's like, oh my God, it's the most intoxicating perfume. Mm-hmm. Ever. You just never want to go back. And I don't have a four acre yard, but I do have a hammock in the backyard. And I take like 10 minute breaks mm -hmm. throughout the day. I'll be like, I'm taking a hammock break, which yeah. is me. And sometimes I take nothing and I just lay there and I look up at the sky yeah. or I'll watch the leaves, you know, over my head, how they're intertwining themselves and just getting out of that hectic mode. Mm -hmm. It is so calming. It's cold here. I'm in Ohio and it's about to be really freaking cold. Like they're saying at probably negative 20 tomorrow, wind chill possibly as low as negative 50. Like crazy. Like you go outside and you'll die. Yeah. yeah it's going to be insane. Yeah. So I bought bird food because that's something when I was growing up, we always fed the birds in the winter because we lived um, near uh, woods and the birdies, you know, they need something to eat when it's that cold. So, in recently, I'd gotten away from feeding the birds because I have so many cats, and that was unfair. But um, <laughs> my biggest, biggest predator has passed away, and my other cats are pretty happy to be indoors. So, I was like, all right, I'm going to feed the birds, and I fed them, um, I think yesterday, I, I put the house up, but then I also just scattered a bunch on the ground. And so, this morning, actually, I got up, and I was getting a little bit of work done, and then I just kind of looked out the window... And I see the birds and, you know, we've got little finches that are hopping and then a blue jay lands and everybody flies away because blue jays are assholes. I ended up looking out the window for 15 minutes I and I was it. just watching the birds. And then a woodpecker showed up. I'm like, oh, my God, we have a woodpecker. And like I ran and got my boyfriend. I'm like, look, 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 it's a woodpecker. <laughs> you know, and and I was so involved in these birds and like picking a bird and being like, oh, I hope that little I hope that little titmouse gets what he needs, you know, and like following their little lives for as long as they were in my window. And I was just like, man, that was awesome. You know what I mean? Yes. No. And, and you created something to mm -hmm. focus on, too, which I think is really cool mm -hmm. because it, it's interesting. We'll be like, well, I don't know what to focus on. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what would be of interest to me outside of this, you know, this laptop world and this. Right this crazy digital human community mm -hmm. but you did you got back to nature yeah and I think that's that's a huge it's like proof mm -hmm. that is out there and we can do it it's like you 
you kind of bird boxed yourself. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> By In taking the blindfold right? off. That's what I took. Right. The, yeah, exactly. Yes, you took the blindfold off. Exactly. Like, oh, it's there's amazing. a world out there. It is amazing. The greatest treasure, a most dangerous magic. Growing up with a traveling circus, Genevieve Flannery is accustomed to a life most teenagers could never imagine. But when her mother, Delia, falls to her death during a show, she leaves behind a dangerous inheritance that forces Jenny into a frightening new reality, her life now interrupted by the terrors only Delia could see. As the visions around Jenny grow stronger and her magical legacy becomes even more menacing, she's not sure who she can trust. And if she fails to secure Delia's ancient secret, Jenny could lose everyone she holds dear. Slight by Jennifer Summersby. So we talked quite a bit about uh, mental issues and anxiety and depression, but writers are also no stranger to chronic pain. So I've got the same question, tips on handling chronic pain for the writer and also in general. So it goes back to what we talked about, which is proactivity. You need to understand your condition, what works for you. For me, it is eliminating gluten and caffeine and low sugar and getting plenty of rest. I mean, when I tell you how much rest I get a night, you'll be like, nobody can listen to this podcast because I'm going to hate you. <laughs> no, I'm really good at sleeping. It's okay. I, okay. So it's like nine or 10 hours. Yeah, that's, that's what I get. Yeah. And I have to make sure I get it. And if I'm not getting it and I wake up and I feel like garbage, then I am going back to bed mm -hmm. until I don't feel like that. So it's a proactivity. It's also stress. But this is really interesting because positive stress and negative stress on your body causes the same type of reaction. Mm. So if I won the publisher's clearinghouse, for example, like I would be in the hospital because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because my body would go, I don't know the difference. There's right. excitement or there is like white knuckling stress. How am I going to survive? I'm going to live in a box mm -hmm. this winter mm -hmm. and your body can't tell the difference. So even when I have like the greatest days and I sign a bunch of clients and we're working on a bunch of things and it's just fantastic, I have to temper myself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely have to temper myself. The last two times I tried to fly, I could not fly. Mm. I had to turn around and come home. I have this credit on American Airlines <laughs> from like, you know, this summer. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. And so it's proactivity. And it's also remembering those limits. So if you can't do it, do it. And it's remembering them and enforcing them in a self-loving manner. So I'm not like, oh God, you know, you did it again and this sucks, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, what do I need in this moment? It's okay to need that in this moment. Let's get you what you need. Then mm -hmm. you can get back at it. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for us to belabor our pain and create more pain by scolding ourselves for things that are out of our control. We need to be proactive and then we need to be reactive to what we need. But we also need to ensure that we have a good support group for work. I always have a plan B built into my plan A. Mm -hmm. So if I say, I'm going to do this, and my body says, oh, that's a good one. 
<laughs> then I'm like, well, screw you. I've got a plan B then. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it this way. I also have tremendous support in my marketing job and, and overlaps into sick biz as well, where I let people know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I give them access to my emails. And these are people that I trust, majorly, majorly trust. Give them access to my emails so that I can say, I'm out for now. Mm-hmm. Can you just hop in and take over? Mm-hmm. And that has saved my ass. I can't even tell you how many times because I'll be like, I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bed. I'll see you whenever. I don't know when it's going to be. <laughs> so <laughs> enjoy running the company, you know? <laughs> It's highly, highly important. That's why it feels like 2019 is the year of customized self-care. Now, in terms of time management, that is super important. What I did last year was wrong. Mm. I equated myself to be another hustler or grinder. And I put myself on, I I tried to compare my level with people who have their health, mm-hmm. with people who get up and they go to the gym. I go to the gym at 530. I've run five miles. <laughs> great. That's super great. I'm still in REM at right. 530. Me okay. Too. So, and it's okay. It doesn't mean you don't work as hard. It doesn't mean you're not somebody that people shouldn't be taking seriously. It means that you have the self-awareness to say, this is how I work the best. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Does that mean extending your hours so that you work on the weekends, but you work fewer hours during the day so you can have more time to rest. What does that mean? That you extend your hours in the evening. It's all about what you need. So start taking stock Mm -hmm. of your body and what you need. When you're having a good day, why are you having a good day? What choices did you make that helped you to have that good day? When you're having a bad day, I can tell you why I'm having a bad day. Anytime now, mm-hmm. I'll say, oh, because I ate too much sugar or, oh, because I skimped on sleep or I let myself get too carried away or stressed out. And if we stop, and a lot of us don't prioritize this, if we stop and we say, I'm going to pay attention to how I'm navigating in this world and how I'm taking care of myself, then we are able to be much more proactive with ourselves mm. and we'll have much better days. We also need to be open to receiving. Everybody I know that I talk to is like, what's the best part about Christmas? Giving, giving, giving. I love giving. <laughs> Great. What's the hardest part? Receiving. Mm. Why? Because we sometimes don't feel worthy or we don't know what to say. We're uncomfortable or we feel like we shouldn't be receiving something because we don't have anything to give back or whatever the case is. But the point is that we're here on this earth to help each other Mm -hmm. and to love each other. We're here to be in that, like not to be all like flower power and have a Coke Woodstock, but, (laughs) (laughs) but we are here to help each other. The best thing that I have learned is how to ask for help because I came from a very hard scrabble existence of like nobody was around. Nobody was there. Nobody could be depended on. And it was just a negative time that was really setting my brain in motion that you can want people to be there and they won't be there or Mm -hmm. they'll leave you. When I got sick, the first thing I did was try and push my fiance out the door. I was like, okay, well, I just became an octogenarian. 
So you're free to go. Right. You know, and, and he was like, I'm not going anywhere. I had to accept help. And that is the best thing. There are so many people who get sick or who develop a disability through illness or accident. And then they spend their time saying, I was this, I can't be this anymore. I can't accept this help anymore. The sooner that you get past that, the sooner that you move through that, the sooner you will find your new life on the other side of illness or disability. I want to circle back to what you were saying about illness and identity and about Mm -hmm. groups and how just saying we all have MS doesn't equate to we are all in this together or we are all the same. A friend of mine was diagnosed with breast cancer and she's recovered and she's cancer free now. And when she would go to support groups or even be making conversation with someone, when she revealed that she had cancer, the immediate follow-up every time was, what stage? And she hated it. She said, it was just like when you say, I'm having a baby, and they say, boy or girl. Every time, every time, what stage, what stage? And they always wanted, because whatever stage she was, which I forget, I believe it was three, they would want to just bunch her in with the other threes. We're like, well, you should talk to so-and-so because she's a three. And she just hated it. She was like, okay. She's like, identifying myself as having cancer is hard enough. And then when you're basically like, well, how bad is it? She just stopped telling people she had cancer because the follow-up was so crushing for her. Yeah. And it's so hard to maintain hope in those situations. And it is okay to get away from those support groups. Mm-hmm. Um, when I found out I didn't have MS, I got out of the MS support group because I was like, oh, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. But I was glad to get out of it. It was because people were so negative. Mm. And you can start to develop this new identity based on the people that you're hanging around. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's horrible. How are you doing this? These are the things that you take in and you use to build your new identity. So you're in charge. You're absolutely in charge of that audience around you. And you're in charge of saying, this is how I need to be supported. Mm -hmm. So for instance, support goes inward to the patient. So if you think about rings, like the patient's the middle ring, the bullseye, Mm -hmm. and then there's the people closest to him or her, And then the people closest to the people closest to the support people of the patient, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the support flows into the patient. The outer rings support each other. So you're not allowed to say to the patient, wow, I'm really scared. Mm -hmm. Uh, How are you doing this? Oh, I'm concerned for you. You have a very bad complexion today. You're not allowed to say those things, but you are allowed to say them to the outer rings of support. Like, man, have you seen Carrie? I'm really concerned. Is there anything that we can do for her? What do you think we should say to her? This is where you get your support. And sometimes, so that's the first thing is directing your support. And you do have a responsibility as that person to say, I want to be supported in this way. Mm -hmm. You can tell people, I don't want this type of support. Thank you very much for the homemade carrot juice. Mm -hmm. If you're telling me I have to drink in 15 seconds or to lose its nutrients, but I don't want this and you don't need to bring this in anymore. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Or I don't want to be added to that group because I'm not ready. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to talk to other people because I haven't done the work on myself to accept where I am. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. And you can also tell people, hey, don't ask me these questions. So we do have a responsibility to direct our own self-care. And that also means choosing our groups. It's choosing our support. You're going to get out what you put into the world. Mm-hmm. If you're, you're going to magnify your despair, you're going to magnify your anger. So guess what? Instead of being in a little pond of it, you're going to be in an ocean mm-hmm. of anger. It can feel good to get sympathy. Like, oh, people love me. This feels really good. Mm-hmm. But then they depend on it too much mm-hmm. and say, well, this is who I am. And it gives me sympathy and I feel really good about it. I'm going to depend on that sympathy. And this is part of my new identity. Or they rely on that diagnosis and say, well, I can't do it because I have this and Mm -hmm. I'm this now. So Mm -hmm. I have limits now. So we have to define what is this new life like? And I liken it to, it's not, why did this happen to me? It is, what am I supposed to do with this information? And when you figure out what you are supposed to do with your new reality, that's when everything changes. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting what you were saying about positive stress as well, because it is very much a thing. And I mm-hmm. have had days or weeks in the past where I have a couple of freelance projects due. I was just offered an article to write, I have copy edits due, and I just got a new book contract. These are all positive things, right? (laughs) Yeah, these are all great things. These are all, this is all money coming in for a freelance full-time writer. Like, that's amazing. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I need to sit down and cry now. (laughs) (laughs) Mindy, seriously, one of my favorite things to do is when I have a deluge of good is I sit back, I close my laptop, and I start laughing. Yeah. And I do, I do nothing. I'm like, this is great. This is a great problem to have. But it still needs to be managed. Mm-hmm. That positive influx still needs to be managed, whether that means you've got somebody on your team and you're saying, hey, I'm not doing this part of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Or it means that I'm going to say, I'm not going to take any more new clients until the third week of February. Whatever that looks like to you, we have to manage that positivity. And, and true, when you have this huge influx of business, you also have to stay grounded. Mm-hmm. Like you can't freak out and you also can't just get so head in the clouds. Well, we don't want to do the, the roller coaster up and down, but we want to have like a balanced medium, mm-hmm. you know? We're shooting for that horizontal line. Yeah, I like that. Shoot for horizontal. One of your founding principles is to pay it forward, using your own success to assist others. I feel the same, hence this podcast and the blog. So tell us a little more about that spirit and why you think it's so critical to help others. I think we have a responsibility to help others. In fact, it comes down into something even more than pay it forward. It's playing to our strengths and it's recognizing them and saying, I'm good at this. So-and-so is good at that. Mm -hmm. Together we do well. It is honoring collaboration and the deepening insights that come out of it. It is remembering that we're all human and we need each other. And that's the biggest thing. 
every opportunity that comes to me is not my opportunity. Mm-hmm. I might be just a critical piece where I'm helping to rehome that opportunity. When you're a freelancer, you have to be, you have to embrace that creative person inside you. But you also have to be, in order to succeed, you have to know how to close. Mm-hmm. You have to have that business acumen. And some people don't. Some people network and they, and they are afraid or they don't feel like they are qualified. They may have imposter syndrome, whatever the case is. We are here to help each other out. So if you've got a tremendous creative, creative person on your team and they can do things that you can't do, but you can close the deal, we have that responsibility to help each other. Mm-hmm. So, and I think when we tap into that, that really opens up our purpose too. Sometimes when we get so self-absorbed into, I feel this, these are my fears, mm-hmm. this is what I We are living very selfishly in a way mm-hmm. because we're, we're living limited. We're not looking around us. We're not exploring our world. We're not letting other people in. We're, we're not honoring our purpose. Our purpose in life, to me, doesn't seem to be, I'm going to give myself everything that I need. Only me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. Our purpose in life extends to helping other people. Otherwise, why are we here? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have a responsibility to recognize that. And that means coming out of that wallowing. That's why we talk about putting a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. Because after a while, that wallowing turns into denying somebody part of you and you're important mm-hmm. and, and you contribute to the circle and you help people even if you can't see it even if you don't know it ask the people closest to you why you're important to them mm-hmm. you'll hear things that you will never say about yourself that's true That's true. I was just having a conversation on the plane with another Harper author coming home from Winter Institute. We were talking about the fact that the hardest thing that either one of us has ever written was our own bio. You know, you want to make yourself sound great. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be like, yes, Mindy McGinnis is an amazing author, right? Like, we don't want to, (laughs) we don't want to do that, especially women. We've been taught to be modest. And so it is, uh, it is interesting to me. Yeah. To ask other people, why do you need me? What do I bring to you? And I'm sure you're right. I'm sure there are things that we don't even realize. Sometimes you hear that and you're like, huh, that's how I'm coming across. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, totally, totally. Lastly, tell us where listeners can find you and SickBiz online and some of those services that you offer and any upcoming projects that you have going on. We have a lot of projects in the works right now. The best way to find me or to find people at SickBiz who can help you with your business is sickbiz.com. You can get in touch with us that way. Um, in terms of marketing, my website is jhill with two L's, jhillmark.com. And again, we specialize in copywriting, copy editing, and book editing. As of this broadcast, I have edited over 70 books. Nice. And, uh, and, it's, and I've authored two of my own. So my book, Six Success, came out in uh, September. It's an Amazon bestseller. Woo! Nice. Um, and it's the entrepreneur's prescription to turning pain into purpose and profit. 
a bit of a quasi memoir in the beginning of my life and what makes me credible to be able to speak on any of these things. A bunch of chapters on actionable content for the reader. Mm-hmm. How can you overcome anxiety? What are the tools that you need to start your business, etc.? Things of that nature. So I really wanted to share that content with the reader to encourage them. You're not just sick. You're not just disabled. You're not just sick and or disabled or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. You are you. You're in there. So let yourself out. And we are continuing to focus on, I have a small team of people who work with me now at J. Hill Mark, and we are continuing to offer book editing services. We're doing uh, from first draft to finished package right now that's going very, very well. Our outline packages are off the charts mm-hmm. because people have no idea. They're like, I want to write a book and, and I have no idea what to put in it. And I've helped many, many authors become bestsellers. I also work with a um, small group of publishers. So there's all kinds of opportunities available when you work with us at J-Hill. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. I know that you've got one. My podcast is called Sick Biz Buzz and we have business and life coaches that come on as guests and talk about pointers for people who are chronically ill and disabled, running their own businesses, as well as we have wonderful guests who are chronically ill or disabled and running their own businesses. They're in the trenches and telling you exactly what works for them and sharing that knowledge. And I try to get a lot of people on there with differing viewpoints because not everyone is going to glom on to and appreciate the knowledge from this person or whatever. So it is a whole kind of soup to nuts mix of some amazing people. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. A special thank you to fellow authors Alyssa Palombo and R.C. Lewis, as well as patron Stephen Avery for helping to make this episode possible. If you find the blog or podcast helpful, please consider showing your support by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash writer, writer, pants on fire and making a donation. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Rider Rider Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. <laughs>